When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Tint, a podcast dedicated to lovers of the natural style botanical aquarium, the brackish water aquarium, the black water aquarium, and pretty much every unusual concept out there. I'm Scott Fellman, your host. Uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed listening to some of the podcasts. We've been getting really, really great feedback, and I really appreciate that. I've even had people tell me that uh, they like my voice, which is really funny because I always thought I have the worst voice for a podcast, but hey, you never know. So good to hear. Um, glad to have everybody with us today. Today I want to touch on to- a topic that I've talked about before, but I'm going to hit it again. And it's one of those things that a lot of people say, well, why would you do this? Because you, you sell botanical items for a living. Why are you talking about this? And the topic today is really collecting your own stuff. And um, here's my point, first of all. Uh, it's, it's something we can and should all do. Sure, I sell stuff and, and I've developed a company around that. But there are some things you can collect pretty much as long as hobbyists have been, well, hobbyists. We've created techniques, shared ideas, explored, examined, and when warranted, criticized ideas that seem kind of weird or irresponsible or unscrupulous, which I love, don't you? I mean, we all should. Now, one of the things I'm fascinated by in the hobby, and I'm serious about this, is the culture of the armchair critic, you know, the the hobbyist who, emboldened by the firewall that a keyboard provides him or her, uses this defensible position to lob all sorts of stuff at fellow hobbyists, businesses, thought leaders, etc. And this is for reasons entirely not entirely known, yet it's likely steeped in some form of personal insecurity rather than the true desire to help their fellow hobbyists. Uh, In the case of vendors, it's usually to call bullshit on some practice, product, or idea that this self-appointed advocate thinks is an injustice of some sort. Many times it is deserved, and there is some good to this sort of self-policing. Other times there's a more sinister or petty move, a desire to hurt others, play out some frustration with themselves or to be relevant, whatever. Yet the fact that we have a little bit of self-pleasing and a self-reflective mindset in the hobby is not a bad thing. When I first started Tan in Aquatics, I pretty much knew that we'd be on the receiving end of incoming fire from some of these people. You know, we sell twigs, leaves, and nuts, and that's outrageous. My marketing guy literally calls us the lawn trash company. (laughs) That's our kind of a working joke here. And it's super easy to criticize this business model. Sure, from day one, we've had critics who assessed our businesses, its practices and products, and made the determination that everything that we sell could be collected from the empty lot next door to their home, and that we're essentially selling ice cubes to Eskimos, as the old expression goes, a sort of a gotcha thing. And of course, as a business owner, you know your natural in- inclination is to ignore, to protect, to engage, or whatever. Now, seeing all this misinterpretation, myth, and misinformation about your area of expertise and your business proliferate is something that you almost have to engage on, yet you have to temper it with a bit of self-awareness and logic, too. Now, in my instance, I saw, and I still see, little value in trying to tell fellow hobbyists that the magnolia leaves or oak twigs that I offer are somehow different than, you know, what someone with the dual blessings of time and geographic fortune can collect. It's not honest or helpful to do that. You know, as someone who's tried to be as uh, open and honest about the stuff we've offered as possible, I don't really feel exposed by these assertions. Yeah, I mean, this stuff exists in nature and you can grab it if you want. 
Of course, that never stopped the self-appointing consumer advocate types from claiming that we're simply trying to rip off or exploit unsuspecting hobbyists. Newsflash, as I've mentioned, oh, probably a hundred times or more in this column and elsewhere over the years, of course you can collect your own botanicals. We encourage you to do so if you can. However, if you don't have access to them or the inclination, that's what we're here for. Despite how delicious it might be for, you know, conspiracy-loving keyboard warrior hobbyists to claim, there's no secret or mystery that we're trying to perpetuate to keep you from discovering this. We're pretty confident that our business can survive and has survived just fine if hobbyists collect some of their own stuff. And judging by our market share and growth trajectory, I'd say that this mindset is just fine. Now, when you're talking about collecting your own stuff, proper identification is an important part of utilizing botanical materials in your aquarium. We've tried a lot over the years, believe me. And we've seen a fair number of them being given goofy names. In, in, in fact, almost every one of our product names are not fictitious at all. We utilize the actual species name, tongue-twisting or linguistically ugly though it may be. I mean, dragiapods, are you freaking kidding me? Uh, of the plants and trees and shrubs from which the botanical comes from. And we identify the geographic sourcing as well. I don't know what others who ply their trade in this hobby sector do, but we're not about it. And as a hobbyist, I certainly understand that this hobby can be pricey and that every, you know anything we do to save a few bucks is not necessarily a bad thing. Not everybody sees the value in paying $5 or more for something like oak twigs, alder cones, loquat leaves, etc. You know, if they have a clean, reliable, accessible source for these things in their own neighborhood, totally get that. What's different about the materials we offer? In a nutshell, not too much from a capability standpoint. Let me start by saying that our stuff is not magical. It's not manufactured in some factory or something. There's no special powers that our botanicals create. So is there anything different? Well, yeah. Well, for one thing, you don't have to go to the time and effort to search, identify, collect them, and sort of, you know, sort through them yourself. Sure, this is not necessarily a tedious process, but it can be an inconvenience for many of us, especially those hobbyists who live in urban areas where access to clean and reliable collection sites for some things is limited or otherwise problematic. Or for those who simply don't want to spend their free time rooting through that nearby vacant lot or urban forest area and attempt to save $2. And of course, with our stuff, you get them delivered to you in this neat, tidy package. And we study, we test, we aggregate, we curate stuff from all over the world. And we go to great lengths to obtain this stuff so you don't have to. You get the confidence that comes from knowing that we are ethically and sustainably sourced by vetted suppliers and that the materials were not collected from areas which are polluted or insecticide laden. All these things are super important considerations when utilizing botanicals in your closed system aquarium. And quite frankly, you may be able to collect uh, alder cones or, excuse me, or oak leaves or whatever, but you likely don't, most of you in the temperate parts of the world, don't have access to some of these tropical items that we have or the South American items, for example, which we went to great lengths to get. Um, Oh, and you get the support of a company which lives, breathes, sleeps this botanical stuff. You get the instructions, the community, and the information provided by the, you know, 700 or so blogs and now a podcast about this stuff. We think that defines value added in this context for sure. It's got to be worth something, right? Well, maybe it's worth something to you. Maybe not. Maybe you simply want to collect your own, period. Maybe you have great access to something that we don't. Judging by the number of, have you tried blank or I have a blank tree in my yard and was wondering if they're usable in the aquarium emails I receive weekly. It's obvious that there's enough interest in this DIY sort of thing. And again, I say go for it if you can. With that in mind, I'm dedicating some space in today's uh, podcast to share a bit of idea on this topic. And keep in mind that we're in the Western United States, and this is written 
from the context of materials and such consistent with what's readily available in North America or Europe. Obviously, if you live in tropical Asia, Africa, or South America, there are different nuances to this, and you're blessed to have some exotic things that perhaps we don't. So general disclaimers aside, there's a few broad words of advice I have for you if you're going to collect your own stuff. Number one, make sure that you're legally permitted to gather the materials that you're considering and that you aren't trespassing on someone else's property while doing so. It does not make sense to get shot to try to collect a couple of twigs. Uh, make a positive identification of the botanical materials you're going to collect. <clears throat> Excuse me, a good nature guide or a field guide to the plants of your region can really help. And there's this thing called Google that might work well too. Don't be lazy. Don't email me. I really am... Quite honestly, I, I get that I'm a source for this stuff, but boy, I get a little bit irritated when somebody, you know, finds some, sends me a picture of some nut or twig or something and says, is this good to use in my aquarium? I don't know. I'm not a botanist. I know the things that I work with. I test things. My advice to you is test it. Test it yourself. Don't be lazy. Go on Google and ID. That's what I had to do when I started Tannin. It's not that hard. It takes time. If you're going to go to the effort to collect things, make the extra effort to identify things. I'm going to stifle the stupid laziness that our hobby culture seems to imbue on everybody. I'm ranting a little bit today because I'm really tired of it. I'm tired of people, you know, saying, oh, I heard that, uh, you know, adding botanicals to your aquarium causes nitrates. Can you address this? I have. We've written over 700 blogs on this stuff. So you're going to find the information. Our community's talked about this stuff. The information's out there. You got to dig for it. Not everything is going to be spoon fed to you. Okay, I'm off my soapbox right now. <laughs> Getting back to the things you need to do. Confirm that the area that you're collecting from is not sprayed with pesticides or subject to runoff from other toxic substances or pollutants. This is really important. If you're not sure, don't just grab them. It's simply not worth it. Collect the botanicals you're focusing on as naturally fallen materials. That's the other important thing. This is particularly important with leaves, as we've discussed many times in this blog. When leaves fall naturally, they've consumed many of the sugars and other compounds that are not beneficial for our aquariums. And, you know, those are actually more detrimental than helpful. Very important. Never collect anything from a tree or shrub which is protected, endangered, or otherwise restricted from being disturbed in your area. This is pretty obvious, but we'd be negligent if we didn't mention it here. Okay, reality checks are aside. What materials can you typically collect? Let's talk about leaves. Of course you can grab leaves. Um, if you live in North America, magnolia, which believe it or not is one of our more popular leaves. It's an obvious one for a lot of people in, in North America. There are plenty of references for identifying the specific species you might have in your area. I've tried a few varieties and I've determined that no one variety is substantially better than another. The important thing is that you collect them as naturally fallen, not green, and that you rinse them and take the time to wipe them off and maybe dry them out a little bit more before you use them. They have a waxy dermal layer that retains moisture and they can get really moldy if packed away too soon after they've fallen. A lot of you have brought this to my attention when we ship these things. It's a real fine line with, um, with magnolia because of the moisture that's trapped in the cutin layer of the leaf. When you put it into a, uh, a sealed plastic you know, package, the moisture gets sort of exuded and you get this sort of greenhouse effect and the surface is often turned moldy. Now, the mold is not necessarily harmful, and it can be typically wiped away with a you know, paper towel and eliminated via boiling during the prep process. But it's unpleasant, I get it. But generally, mold has never, ever been an issue for me, so I wouldn't worry about it. But uh, magnolias are a little tricky to handle. Uh, oak, beech, ash, and many of the other leaves that are out there uh, from deciduous trees are commonly used by aquarists. At the risk of overgeneralizing, 
numerous species of naturally fallen dried leaves are perfectly safe for use in aquariums. There are literally hundreds of possibilities here, but I can't give you the pros and cons on each one. Some may have toxins or oils in their tissues, which can be problematic, even deadly. The reality is that you will need to research, collect, prepare, and experiment with them on your fishes carefully. I, you know, again, it's the, it's the, I, I, I really am honored that people approach me and say, is this good to use in aquarium uh, purposes? I just can't tell you every single, fi- uh, every single plant that's out there and tell you if it's good or not. You, you're just going to have to experiment. You don't like the idea of experimenting with your fishes like that? Well, then I know this place online where you can get leaves that are fish safe. <laughs> cones. Let's talk about cones. Some of the most popular botanical materials used in aquariums are cones of various trees, alder, birch, etc. Like leaves, there are a lot of varieties out there to choose from. Many are safe, but some might not be. They might have oils or other, you know, terpenoids or other things that may or may not be, you know, acceptable for aquatic life. So uh, once again, yeah, it's on you to do that critical experimentation and the safety assessment for yourself. Cones typically need to be collected as naturally fallen, dried and rinsed carefully and dried again before use and boiled or steeped. Um, Again, uh, you can't be too careful. I've had people over the years, um, funny aside, I had somebody from, I don't remember where, from from, uh, either Australia or somewhere asked me about casuarina cones. They said, you know, these are, these, these are toxic and they put out a, a chemical that, that, that kills other, other plants that grow nearby. Well, yeah, the, the, the tree puts out a toxin for allelopathic purposes to protect its turf, so to speak. And yeah, we've been using the, you know, the, the, um, um, acorns or excuse me, not the acorns, the, um, the cones of the casuarina tree for seven, eight, nine years with shrimp and all sorts of delicate animals never, ever had a poisoning issue. That's a case of, well, yeah, the tree behaves a certain way. The pods, uh, the pods, and in this case, the cones, not necessarily so. You have to test these things. We've tested them, used them on our own shrimp, our own fish for, you know, almost a decade now. So we're very comfortable in our sourcing. Uh, the, the people that we get them from do a great job of collecting them naturally fallen and um, they haven't been an issue. But that's a classic example of something that seems easy, but you know, you have to think it through. Um, then there's branches and driftwood. I'm not gonna get into the nuances of every single type of you know, driftwood and, and, and so forth. And you know, you go on Facebook or any hobby forum, you're gonna see tons of people saying, look at this piece of you know, manzanita I collected when I was on my hiking trip. That's great. You know, again, there's numerous varieties of trees which can yield great results when you use them in an aquarium setting. The caveats besides selecting varieties that are not known to be ichthyotoxic or otherwise environmentally polluting when are submerged are that they need to be properly sourced, collected, and prepared in order to be safe. In other words, some of these things they need to soaking. They're going to give out a lot of material, a lot of tannins, a lot of uh, fungi and mold and, and so forth, and biofilms will sprout forth. You know, we know how to prepare wood. That's something that's been done in the hobby for a generation. So common sense here. Um, What varieties to use? Again, it's incumbent upon us as hobbyists to do our homework to determine what's appropriate. And again, if you don't know what's appropriate, you can't find the source online, you're going to have to experiment. It's simple as that. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for lazy people. And it sounds terrible, but I I have to say, when when it comes to the DIY game, if you're going to do it yourself you're going to have to take on some of the responsibility of experimentation and you may kill your fish. And that's just a flat out reality of it. So again, 
we have to do our homework. Obtaining naturally fallen you know, branches and driftwood collected legally from pollution-free sources are some of the important factors to consider here. Also, the bark should typically be removed or substantially stripped as it often contains surface pollutants or other materials which you know, we don't want in our tanks. Oh, you don't want to collect wood that's green or more or less fresh as it needs to be largely depleted of many of the sugars and other compounds found in fresher woods. Substances like sap are traditionally extremely toxic to fishes and any wood leaching sap, regardless of the variety, should be treated as unsuitable. Now, this is very generalized. I hope that this admittedly generalized brief summation of collecting your own botanicals is helpful to you. And I hope my little scolding to the worldwide community of hobbyists is, is taken in the right light. Um, there's a lot of neat things that we do every day with this stuff. It's still a sort of a ground floor thing, even though we're at least a tannin, we're four or five years into it now. The the hobby of botanical style blackwater aquariums, it, it's it's been around for a long time. We are elevating it. We're aggregating information, providing a, a source of knowledge for you guys. We don't have every single answer. That's where we as a community get to do the work. That's where we as a community sometimes have to stand up to criticism in the face of uh, you know, online bullying when somebody says, you can't do that because, well, you know, a lot of people told me you can't do this because and I'm doing it and it works just fine because it doesn't look the way you're expecting doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. And that being said, just because something looks good doesn't mean that it's good for your fishes or it's a creates a healthy environment. Experimentation is super important. Again, there's lots and lots of botanical materials that you can legally collect and safely utilize in your aquarium. Hobbyists have done this for decades. It makes sense that you should seek out readily obtainable free materials for use in your tanks, if only just to you know supplement the more exotic stuff with the things that we offer. Now, not only is this a good way to save money, it can get you into the great outdoors and maybe even create a new hobby for you. And it can be educating if you take the time to learn it, if you get a field guide, if you go online, if you talk to uh, people that know these things. It's beyond just collecting stuff. It's important to understand how these materials occur, the context, which is really important, what benefits they can offer, and how they play a role in the wild, terrestrial, and aquatic ecosystems of the world. When you see where the tree grows, how the, the, the shrub act, interacts with its environment and so forth, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I think this is really one of the, the unsung um, attri- uh, you know, benefits of getting out there in the field and, and you know collecting, or even if you're not collecting, Sometimes just observing is really interesting. Seeing the context by which, um, you know, plants and shrubs grow and then considering how they might end up in waterways or if they would end up in waterways at all. Um, these are important things to know. Bottom line is, yeah, you can collect your own botanicals. Yeah, you have to take some risk. Yeah, you have to do your homework. It's beyond just collecting things, though. Again, it's the art of doing And I think that's really cool. And I want you to stay engaged in this stuff and stay curious, stay inquisitive, stay resourceful, and always, always, always stay wet. Thanks again. Good talking to you. I'm Scott Fellman. I hope your tanks stay tinted and healthy. We'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye.